You're listening to the Whenever It Kicks podcast with Jessie Cave. That's me. I'm currently pregnant with my fourth child and I'm treating this podcast as a pregnancy diary. And I wanted to share with you what it's like to juggle work and finding time for each child individually whilst also preparing for a brand new baby. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy it. This is episode three and I am going to be talking today about creativity when pregnant. So I've spoken to a lot of people about this and many of them seem to say the same thing, which is that it's quite hard to be motivated to do big creative projects when you are pregnant, newly pregnant, when you're, you know, extremely tired and maybe a bit sick and vomiting. (laughs) And then later when you're huge or, you know, encumbered and waddling everywhere, weeing all the time, snoring at night, uh, and you have this approaching deadline of the baby coming and suddenly you have a million things to do. And even if you have a million ideas, it becomes incredibly overwhelming to think that now is the time to do all of them. And it's, it is really hard to stay motivated and to, to try and do anything in this period of time I've, I have found, but I also think that it can be just such a great time for your mind. It's changing because it's the very nature of something else being inside you the entire time, growing and listening to you and learning from you and taking from you already. I think it does do something to your mind. And I have found that in each pregnancy, I have definitely encountered a new mindset for a bit that has informed my work, whether it's just, you know, my crazy neurotic drawings or maybe my book Sunset was, I think, written the whole thing was written when I was pregnant and when I was also had the, had 10 as a newborn. I definitely think reading it back, I can tell that I was going through something and I obviously was grieving and it was, it was, it was, it, I was going through something on a completely different level, but I think, I don't think my mind would have gone there had I not been pregnant. So I am extremely grateful to that. But right now, as I sit here, I do feel I do feel defeated actually with the idea of having to work right now and it's quite scary for me because I've never been in this position before. I've never felt so tired that I don't think I can do anything. And it's quite humbling cuz I'm having to suddenly be aware of my incapabilities and it's very scary. But I am, I am sure, I'm positive that it's just a little blip, maybe a little bit of creative writer's block or something. And it will come back to me soon. It has to come back soon, please. I, I am writing another novel, actually, um, which is stupid. <laughs> it's quite stupid to be doing this again when I'm pregnant, but I do feel like my, I'm ready to. I'm really excited about the idea and I desperately want to write it. That doesn't mean I've started writing it. 
I believe that creativity isn't necessarily, you don't have to see the evidence there on the paper. I think it all happens in your mind and you can cultivate and grow the ideas for, 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 for ages in your own head and heart for as long as you need. And then when it is fully ready, it, it does appear somewhere, maybe on paper, maybe on a word document, maybe, you know, on a, on a tiny little piece of paper in the back of a notebook that you forget about, but it does come out somehow. Um, so I do, the way I work is I spend a, a huge amount of time forming the idea, preparing in my own head and letting things come and go. So I'm annoyingly, that doesn't mean a lot of things go. I, um, I'm in this current phase of having really lucid thoughts at about 5am when I think I should be getting up because I, I always think it's 7am when we have to get up for school. I get up way too early and I think that it's 7am, but it's actually 5am. It's so annoying. And then I try and go back to sleep and I then have these dreams, which I will not bore you with, obviously, because that is, that would kill my career if I started talking about my dreams. But I've had a few thoughts at this period of time, um, in this period of time at 5am for my novel and I've forgotten them all, which is great because I then fall back to sleep and then it's suddenly 7am and then I'm taking the kids to school and I've forgotten everything. So I do need to start keeping a notepad by my bed, which I usually do, but we've just had a big change up in the bedroom and now I don't have a side for a bedside table, which is really annoying. But, you know, we need to fit in 15 million cots now. So that's, that's the sacrifice I have to pay. But yeah, I, I'm trying to let it be, let the ideas come, see what I eventually write down and have faith that I'm letting the idea form as naturally as possible. And not, I'm not, I'm not pushing it. And in the past I have pushed creative work too soon and you can tell when it's finished and I really don't want to do this this time, that this time I want to try and do a piece of work that is me as it stands right now in my life, uh, even if it's not, if it, even if it is fiction. Um, I really believe in working as honestly as you can to your, you know, whatever you're going through. And I, um, yeah, I really want to write about motherhood and I really want to write about relationships and Hopefully I have the energy soon. I'm drinking too much coffee again. Too much coffee. I just had a coffee before I did this. And you can probably tell from the the speed of my voice, but um oh my gosh, that's my stomach. I'm so sorry. I read that's one of my pet peeves if I hear people on podcasts if I hear their stomachs. I'm like, absolutely not. So I'm very sorry, but yeah, I've had to start oh, this is awful to admit, but I've had to start eating a bit of meat because you know I'm trying to build up this baby so it's not a tiny baby again. And I don't think I'm like, my body's just like, what's going on? What is this? But it's used to the coffee that I, that, that the baby likes coffee and tell you that. Um, so I thought I would spend a little bit of time after this creativity ramble. Sorry about that. To talk about pregnancy three and what that was like and the birth of Tennessee, my third child, who is now almost 15 months old, which is incredible. And he is still tiny because he was tiny when he was born and he is still, I think he's quite small. So he wears size, he probably can fit into 
nine to 12 baby grows, nine to 12 month baby grows, which I like because he looks so cute. But um, yeah, I think I just give, I just, I just breed tiny children. Um, he is amazing. He's, um, <laughs> he's very funny. I think he's sped up his development hugely because of Donnie and Margot. Um, which is the case when you have um, siblings, I think you just grow a lot quicker and you learn to climb things because you want to compete with your siblings. And that's been amazing to watch. And I think given that he did have such a weird start to this world, um, whenever I see him do something like attempt to climb up the bunk bed, which would, which is just stupid. It's like climbing a mountain for him. When I see him attempting these huge things, I, I feel so proud that he is, he is, that come that far since he was on all these wires in the neonates unit. So his pregnancy was actually really hard. <laughs> I think I've said all of them have been quite hard. Margot's pregnancy was probably the easiest. Donnie's was like, what the hell is going on? My body was just not ready. But with 10, because I had a break. So Margot was three when I got pregnant. Yeah, I think she was three. Was she three or was she four? She was four when he was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was three. She was three and a bit. Um, I think because my body had had that break from being pregnant, I had gone back to having, you know, periods, which I, I, I actually counted the amount of periods I had in my life the other day. And this might sound weird, but remember, I have polycystic ovaries people. So polycystic ovaries people tend to not have normal, regular periods. I think in my life in total, I've had maybe 10, 10 to 12 periods, 10 to 15, 15 max, no more than 15. I can tell you that. I have never used a tampon <laughs> and yet I've given birth three times. I'm scared of tampons. Um, actually with 10, I'll get to that in a minute, but I I had to have a pessary to induce him. And um, the, the, the pessary I felt was like a steel fish hook tampon. And when they pulled it out, I honestly thought I was going to die. Anyway, I'll get to that later. So the pregnancy was, was, I think my body was just going through, like remembering what it is to be pregnant. And um, I was grieving incredibly badly. Um, so my brother died in 2019. I got pregnant, I think a year later. And I do, I, you know, it's strange to be pregnant when you're grieving, but I can, I, I do maintain that it helped me in a way and that might be selfish, but it, it, um, it definitely made me displace some of my intense periods of sadness, um, onto, into, into, and turn it into a type of hope for, you know, I don't know, something good to happen to us. And, um, when I found out that he was a boy, 10, I, I cried. And I think there is something quite moving about having a child when you've lost someone so close because yeah, life is, is fucking amazing, isn't it? And people do say life and death is incredibly closely linked. And I, I do see that more and more now. And I do actually feel close, closer to my brother, um, in certain ways with, with each, with, with, yeah, with, because of 10 and that's so weird, but 
anyway, sorry to get incredibly heavy, but, um, and also Ben had blonde hair and Ten has very blonde hair. So that there was so many weird parallels, but when it was clear that something was going wrong, I think because death does make you respond to everything differently. Suddenly your whole life, all the decisions you've ever made, you question and every new decision you are treating differently because you're like, but this awful thing has happened to me. So you don't trust anything anymore. I don't trust the world anymore. And I thought, well, everything will be bad now because this bad thing has happened. And that, you know, that might be true. Life might be just bad now from, from, from now on for me. But when it was clear that he, his birth was, you know, a problem and he was going in the unit, you know, I did think, well, of course, of course, um, which is, which is so fucked up. I'm sorry, but it is. And, um, I, it's, I, I've had to really work at letting myself have more hope that things will be okay, that good things do happen that not all things end in disaster and that, you know, life can be good and beautiful. And, um, I think now having seen 10 develop over the last year and, and now being pregnant again, I think I am opening myself up to that more and I am in a much better place. But yes, the pregnancy was, was, was a very weird time. And also because you're so hormonal when you're pregnant, I think on top of grief, it didn't mean that I was like, you know, there was something going on. Um, Donnie and Margot are amazing throughout this period of time and so intuitive um, and excited the entire time about having a new sibling and talking about whether it be a boy or a girl. And I was just so excited for them to have another family member and to share this experience with me. And that was just amazing. And um, I think I got used to having just two children for so long they were a double act. And I, I found that really hard when 10 came out because suddenly our routine, you know, reading a bedtime story to them with a newborn baby on my boob, you know, that was, that was impossible. And you have to accept those things are now not possible for a while. I tried all sorts of things to try and keep the routine the same as it was. And then I had to just accept defeat. I tried reading them Harry Potter on my iPad instead of reading them a physical book where I had to turn the page one-handed whilst breastfeeding. That turned out to be impossible because I couldn't have the iPad on my lap and breastfeed, you know, stupid things like that. But yeah, I realized, okay, for a few weeks, maybe a few months, I won't be able to dedicate as much time to Donnie and Margot as I, as I did. And that's normal because another, another human, but you know, 15 months on, reading a bedtime story to them now is as beautiful as it was before. It's just now we have a, like a, a wild toddler running around as I'm reading to them. And sometimes he settles down and he reads it too. And it's just this amazing moment. And I know very soon there's going to be another newborn baby and I won't be able to read those three a bedtime story and I'm going to have to work out a different tactic. But you cross that bridge when you come to it. And I'm excited to cross that bridge to be incredibly cheesy. Um, but yeah, in terms of the latter stage of Ten's pregnancy, I, hmm, well, it was very strange because I think I now can see that there was problems from probably 36 weeks onwards. And if I had been braver or maybe less busy because I was writing Sunset, 
I don't know, maybe I would have taken more action. But I was going to the midwife every two weeks like you're meant to, but I wasn't being really seen as a special case, even though I was measuring small. And then it got to 38 weeks and I went in, I went in on the Monday to the hospital because I said to my mum, I, I, I'm having these tightenings like in my stomach. They're like a contraction, but they're not going away. It was like my stomach was going into a ball, but not coming out of the ball. So I thought, oh, is that meaning the baby's distressed, but then not getting relaxed, if that makes any sense? And my mum was like, just go in, just go in, just go in, just get checked. She's an ex-GP. She's very on it. My mum and dad, you know, they're in the medical world. My brother is too. We all kind of err on the side of caution. <coughs> Sorry, that's my cough. Um, so yeah, I went into the hospital and they monitored me for a few hours and they said, hang on, shouldn't you have had a scan, an extra scan? And I said, well, no, why? Why would I have had to? What's what's wrong? What's wrong? And they said, well, just because you're measuring small, you should have been given a scan at 38 weeks. So it's a bit weird that, because I was actually now 38, I was eight, I was 38 and four, four days. Um, so yeah, can we just give you an emergency scan? And at this point, it was about 12 o'clock, like midday. And I'd already been at the hospital waiting and stuff for a few hours. I hadn't seen the kids. I wanted to see them after school. I remember thinking, no, but this is the time that I've got before the baby comes. Like, I don't, why, why, I don't want to wait around the whole day now to have a scan. And then I wouldn't have seen them all day. And I thought, fuck it. Okay, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. So I waited until 5 p.m. for the scan. They scanned me. Everything was fine. Obviously still measuring small, but they said, okay, there's a slight risk of excess amniotic fluid. I had no idea what that meant. But they, but they said it's 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 still within normal, so you can go home. Don't worry, everything's fine. Bye bye. Went home, got home when they were in the bath. They thought I'd brought the baby with them because I've been at the hospital all day, and I pretended, yeah, he's just downstairs. <laughs> that was a bit mean of me, actually. And um, yeah, went to bed. Didn't think anything of it. I actually didn't look at my phone. Because, you know, I'm just such a breezy, lighthearted person. I don't need to look at my phone the entire time. I'm not I'm not attached to my phone. I didn't look at my phone for maybe three hours. It got to about 9 p.m. I, no, 10 p.m. I looked at my phone just before I went to bed. And I had three missed calls from the hospital, but no voicemail. I thought, that's a bit weird. Mm, okay, what do I do? Went to bed worrying. Didn't really sleep. This was a Monday. Woke up in the morning. My mum had taken them to school. No, Alfie had taken them to school. Something had happened. So like I was, I was sleeping in basically. I woke up at nine, checked my phone, had three more missed calls from the hospital and a voicemail saying, hey, hi, Jessica, can you please come into the hospital for your induction as soon as possible? Thank you. I said to Alfie, okay, what? I, I, I'm, what? An induction? I'm not, I was planning to have the baby at the birth center. I wanted it all like naturally. Anyway, they left me a number on this voicemail. I tried to call the number back. They had put one extra digit. So I spent about half an hour trying to figure out who had called me from the hospital, trying to track down the doctor. Eventually got through to somebody who understood my case. I said, oh, yes, we have it on the system that you should be coming in for your induction today. I said, why? I'm not due for an induction. They said, yeah, but we're just slightly worried that you're still measuring small and it'd actually be better off after talking to a registrar that you should come in. And I said, do I really... Do I really have to? Do I, you know, I really wanted to do it naturally. And like, they're like, yeah, well, it's your decision. But, you know, this is what we advise. 
and that basically is code for you'd be stupid not to come in and do it. So get here now. Um, I said, well, I'm just filming for an ITV2 sketch show tomorrow. So I really want to do that. Could I be induced on Thursday? They were like, no, the room's available at one. So you either come in now or you just, you know, whatever, wait and see. And I was too paranoid now by this point. And I understood that, you know, the ITV2 sketch show was not a big deal. So I thought, okay, okay, cool. Alfie, we're going. Got in the car. We had a coffee on the way. It was actually really nice. And we were quite excited because we were thinking, okay, well, it's just coming a bit sooner than expected. And we'll have a baby, maybe home by tonight. You know, they say the third baby comes quick, which actually now I realize they don't say. They say the fourth baby comes quick. They say the third. And I only know this now. They say the third baby is the difficult one in terms of birth. Why did no one tell me that? Um, so got to the hospital about one. Alfie could stay with me until eight. And I thought, well, hopefully I have the baby before eight. And I can go home, watch the rest of Selling Sunset with a new baby. It, it's all going to be great. I didn't realize how wrong I would be. Um, so they gave me a pessary which I said is like a steel fishhook tampon. The pessary did nothing for me. The pessary, I think, when you're not in labor, is meant to start the process of opening your cervix. It did not do that for me, but you don't realize it's doing nothing for you because of the severe pain. It feels like a kettlebell in your vagina. We tried going for a walk around a prison. There's a prison near Queen Charlotte's Hospital. I don't remember what it's called. I think Wormwood Scrubs. And I couldn't really walk properly because it, it felt just this weight. And I thought, oh, this means it's good. It means it's coming. You know, the baby's coming. Didn't realize, no, it, the, the pessary was absolutely doing nothing. Alfie had to leave at eight. I watched another show on my iPlayer. I waited, I waited, I waited. I was sure nothing was happening. Then they woke me up at 5 a.m. I was alone. I was hearing all these women in the other, you know, being induced too, having made more progress than I had. And they were like, you, you can go down to the labor ward now. There's a room. And I said, but nothing's, nothing's happening. What? They're like, yes, but we should just, you know, there's a room. So you should go down. Went down. A lovely doctor said, okay, well, obviously nothing's happening. Should we take out the pessary? I said, yes, please. She pulled the pessary out. She couldn't find it for ages. She, she was sure that I'd weeded out. And I said, no, I definitely haven't. I, I know I haven't. She's, I know it's up there. She said, okay, she tried looking for it again, eventually found it. And when she, un it felt like she was unhooking something, the pain of this thing coming out was horrific. I honestly, oh my gosh, I can still feel it. And I, I really hope that I don't have to have a pessary again because I hated it so much. When she pulled out the pessary, it broke my waters at the same time. I don't know if she meant to do that, but I suddenly that I was flooding the place with water. That's obviously an exaggeration. And within maybe honestly one minute, I was having an extreme violent contraction. And at this point, I hadn't told Alfie yet. I had said to him I was going down to labor, but I hadn't really, you know, I, we had, I had expected to be there all day. And I said to him, okay, well, my waters have just been broken. I text him, I'm having a contraction. I think you should come in. He thought he had time for a shower which is understandable because when my waters were broken with Margot, it took a good two hours before anything happened. He had a shower. He came in. He came in as the baby's head was out. This was in within half an hour, the baby's head was out. And within 40 minutes, the baby was born. And so the contractions had started one minute after the water's breaking and they went 
so fast, so quick. The midwife was shocked. She was on her own. And she was just like, oh, so I, I actually think it's coming sooner. She was meant to clock off at eight. At this point, it was like 6.30. And she didn't expect to be giving, but you know, having another baby being born on her watch before she clocked off. And she was like, I didn't, I didn't expect this. And this is very strange. Okay. Well, I think you're actually, yes, I actually think, I think I can see the head. I think it's actually happening. Okay. And, um, oh my gosh, I had gas and air, which was actually effective for the first time. I was howling. (laughs) I was like upright, um, on my front type thing, like pushing down on the bed Oh my God, it was horrendous. It was so bad. I'm sorry to put anyone off giving birth, but it was so bad because it was so quick. I think if I really would love to have a, um, a labor that lasted longer and it could, you could do the hypnobirthing. There was no time for me to do hypnobirthing here. This was so extreme. And then he was out and I couldn't lower myself down because of the pain. So I turned back to look at him and he wasn't crying. No, I think he did do a tiny cry actually. And so I was relieved. He did a tiny cry. But then I finally managed to turn myself around and sit down. I I kept feeling like I was going to, something was still coming out of me. Oh, it was awful. He was handed to me and we had this moment. It was lovely. Alfie took a photo. We had this beautiful moment and Alfie held him. I took a photo of him with Alfie. It was lovely. I thought, okay, okay, now I can recover. Oh my God, that was the weirdest 45 minutes of my life. But you know, it's not even 7am yet and the baby's here and what do we do now? And then I held the baby again. I tried to get him to feed and he wouldn't. And I, the midwife came and looked at him and noticed that he was breathing quite fast. I don't think he was making the grunting sound that they say to be, you know, like, sorry, to be really aware of. If it sounds like there's something in their chest or their throat. He wasn't doing that, but he was definitely breathing fast and he wasn't feeding. And he was borderline white. And very quickly, doctor, a doctor was in there and taking him on this bed thing, vent, you know, putting like a a portable ventilator thing on him. And I remember looking at 10 and he was basically pulling himself up. He was using his arms and his hands to pull on this ventilator like he was doing pull-ups at the gym, (laughs) which is so telling of his entire pregnancy because, I mean, like it's so accurate in terms of what his pregnancy was like because he was such a kicker. Sometimes he would kick so hard, I thought he was going to come out of me. He was so active and has remained like so energetic and strong as a baby. It's of, of course he was like this the second he came out. Um, so they tried to get some oxygen into him and get his breathing back to normal. But within probably about five minutes, I, I went and stood, I gave birth to the placenta. And then I, I stood up and went to his side because I thought if he can hear my voice, maybe it will calm him down because he was howling. I tried singing to him a lullaby. I was, I can't believe I did that. It's so embarrassing. I was singing in public, but I did. And they said, we're going to have to take him up. We're going to have to take him up. Um, you stay here. 
one of Alfie will come, you know, you, you follow, you follow us. So Alfie accompanied him out the room in the little movable bed thing, still being kind of have the, the, the ventilator thing as he was traveling. And suddenly I was on my own. I, the midwife had to leave for a second. I was on my own in the room with my placenta, just thinking, okay, less than an hour ago, I was pregnant and now I have no baby and I'm alone with my fucking placenta. What the hell is going on? It was horrendous. And I now see that. But at the time you're in, you know, survival mode. So you just, my focus was on, right, getting changed, showering, like getting some kind of giant pad on me and going up to visit the baby wherever he was and getting there. But what they had to do is they had to put me in a wheelchair because they had to vacate the room, which was it just felt so harsh. Within 20 minutes of giving birth and my baby taken away from me, I had to evacuate the room. So I had a shower in the room. As I was having the shower, <laughs> I fair enough, I hadn't closed the door properly. The doctor who had taken the baby up to the neonatal unit came into the room, into the bathroom. I was like, I just wanted to tell you that he's up there safely. Um, don't worry. It's, it's uh, you know, he's, it's, it's going to be okay or something like that. And I was naked, bleeding in the shower, hoveled over, crying. And she was just, she didn't even bat an eyelid. It was just like, don't worry. This is the information you need. Thank you. Goodbye. And I just was like, thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. I washed my face. I, I, I know, got something on. And then they put me in a wheelchair. They, I, I wasn't allowed to not be in a wheelchair to go to the room that I was going to be in now. And I didn't realize that this meant that this was, this was my, this is where I was going to stay for however long I needed to stay. You know, the hopes of being home by 8 PM or 11 AM or school pickup, they, they were going very fast. It, it was clear I was now here to stay. Um, and I had to go through on the wheelchair through the ward where the mums go with the babies. And I saw a couple of the mums who had been on the ward where we were being induced together. I saw them with their babies walking around, holding them. I was just full of jealousy. And I hoped they didn't see me as I was being wheeled past with no baby. And I was I had all these screams, the baby screams, you know, the healthy screams of these newborns. And like very quickly, the, the sounds got quieter and quieter. And I was rolled into the transitionary care unit, which I came to know very well. And this was the ward for the women who'd had babies, but they couldn't be with their babies yet because of some complication. They might be with their babies, but they might have to be monitored more or the room that I was in which was empty, was the woman who had had the babies, but the babies were in the neonate unit or worse. Um, so I, th she said, oh, you know, it's no consolation prize, but you can choose your bed because the other three beds in the room were empty. So I chose the one in the corner that looked a bit like the, the corner, which when I gave birth to Donnie, we stayed in a corner room type thing with curtains, you know, like, I don't know what you call it, a cubicle. I thought this looked a bit like that one and that was such a happy moment. So I thought, okay, I'll try and replicate that with the space. I set out all my stuff and I I got upset the second I could tag teamed with Alfie because you could only have one parent in at a time because of COVID. 
And that was the way it was for a week. It turned out he was okay. You know, it was, it was clear now that, yes, I, I did have some kind of infection. I had strep B. I didn't know. And I only know I had strep B because 10 weeks later, when I was still bleeding and having mild complications down there, I went to the GP. I insisted I get a swab. And I only knew to insist to get a swab because of my mum and my dad. I don't think they would have done that otherwise. And yeah, I, they, they said, yeah, yeah, you, you definitely have strep B. So looking back, they basically treat the baby when you go into the neonatal unit with his symptoms for ev- they give them broad spectrum, broad spectrum antibiotics to treat for everything. So like possible sepsis, meningitis, um, and strep B. So he was treated for it, you know, even though I still technically had it until I was given these antibiotics 10 weeks later. And the, the fact that I'd had strep B throughout the pregnancy and that was not picked up because unfortunately in this country, we don't test for strep B during pregnancy in some, and some countries they do, which is just fantastic. It can have huge complications, strep B with babies. And even though we were incredibly lucky and we got out within a week, I do now follow a few accounts, um, on Instagram that are related to strep B awareness and stuff. And I'm staggered by how lucky we were. Um, and yeah, then we had a, uh, what's it called? Jaundice scare. And so after getting him down from the neonatal unit and that the euphoria of having my baby next to me suddenly and moving from the room without my baby to a room with my baby and with other women and suddenly in a cramped room and hearing all these babies cry, it felt like a victory. Whereas if I'd never experienced that room, I would have thought, oh, this is weird that I'm, there's so many w- women in this room with babies screaming and it was strange. And also we were all alone because the men could only be there until a certain point in time of the day because of COVID and then they had to go home. It felt like we were in a weird film where all the men had died and it was just women <laughs> and all this whispering going on and hearing all of their stories through the curtains, but never actually seeing their face. It was fascinating. And um, yeah, when when he was cleared from the jaundice thing, we were allowed to go home and it was just the best thing ever. But I didn't for a few, you know, a few points in time, I thought that, that might not happen. And it was just incredibly exhausting, the whole experience, but so life changing for the better. And I, I do feel more bonded to him, I think, because of that period of time watching him in this neonatal unit and ferrying my tiny droplets of colostrum up to him and really appreciating what it is to have a baby and how you cannot take that a pregnancy or, you know, having a birth, a normal birth for granted. It's it's things can go differently. Um and I'd never even really even thought about the neonatal unit before I was in it, seeing these mothers with their routines and some had been in there for months. Some might still be there. So I do feel incredibly humbled by that experience. I could talk for a long time about it, but I'm not. I'm going to go because um, I'm going to try and fathom the energy now to... Is fathom the right word? God, I've got to write a fucking book and I can't even speak. Um... <laughs> Fathom, summon. I'm going to summon the energy now to do some stretching. I'm going to stretch. And hopefully the stretching will lead to better thoughts for my 
work. That's what I'm hoping because I do not have the babies, the children with me today. This is a day for work. So I better, I better bloody do it. And I, and I don't worry. I will, I will. And if any of my lovely people who are, um, you know, commissioning me or whatever to, to write, don't worry. I'm on it. Don't worry. <laughs> if you are pregnant or you are hoping to be pregnant or you have a newborn or grown up kids, young kids, any, any type of motherhood, you know, even if you don't even have kids and you just want to just listen to me rant for, you know, however long I've been ranting, how long? Ooh, 26 minutes. This was a long one. I very much appreciate you listening to this and I really hope that you are all doing well and that you don't ever forget these moments that the, the birth stories, because now that I've taken you through Donnie Margot's and turns, I think it's really important to remember them. And I really encourage you to write them down. I have written tens down on Patreon as, and I did that for, you know, cathartic reasons that almost like understanding what happened. It was really useful for me because it was just so quick and so fucked up so much of it. So I really do think it's a good idea to write down your birth stories. If you haven't already, you probably have, but if you haven't, I do implore you to do so because I think you're, you do forget things and it's nice to remember that this birth was a miracle and you might forget the tiny little details. Like you might in five years time, not remember the midwife's name. And it's nice to remember their names. I've remembered a huge amount of their names. I had, I've had now a lot of midwives, um, and I think it's always nice to remember one or two of their names and acknowledge that they were part of your journey into being a mother and a, and a changed person forever. So, um, yeah, I will speak to you soon with episode four and have a really good day or evening, whatever you're doing. Maybe you're on a run. Maybe you listen to this when you run. Imagine I'd love to run again. I cannot wait to run again. Not that I'm a runner, I'm not a natural runner, but just being able to decide not to go for a run would be great. You know, when you're pregnant this heavy, you, you can't go for a run like you could. Otherwise, Bibi, my sister went for a run the other day and I was so angry at her. So angry at her for going for a fucking run and not appreciating the run, you know, or going on a trampoline. I want to go on a fucking trampoline. I know I keep saying this. Anyway, have a good day. Goodbye.